0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Fitness Mobs Podcast. It's your host, Matt Flynn. Today I have the the honor of speaking with Dustin LaBelle. He's a strength and conditioning coach for BJJ athletes. Um, I came about him through Instagram. I've been following him for a while. Just Every now and then I've come across some of his posts and I thought they were very insightful in terms of uh, the information he was spousing on strength and conditioning for BJJ athletes, so I got them on, I mean, that's what we kind of talked about, so um, you'll find at the start of the podcast, we kind of jive, dive right into things, we did have some technical difficulties, so I ended up having to delete that out, so just recorded an intro so that you we're not just jumping right in, into, into things, um, nothing else to add, I hope everyone enjoys this podcast, and I will uh, stay tuned for more episodes to come when you're first getting into BJJ and and when you were incorporating that alongside your strength and conditioning, were you finding that it was just being too much and you're becoming too injured and too beat up or what was kind of like the, how were things back in the day for you?
1: Yeah. So my path to, so I was recently promoted to purple belt uh, a few weeks ago. Um, My path, thank you. But my path to that point has not been a linear (laughs) path at all. Uh, My first jujitsu lesson was in 2003 uh to give you some context so i was 18 years old Um, i did not take on to jujitsu as quickly i i gravitated more towards the striking arts boxing kickboxing, muay thai uh, some of the like jkd type concepts uh stuck stuck with it on and off throughout those years um got my blue belt I, i got a little bit more serious in like the mid 2000s got my blue belt in 2009 2010 got injured, I tore my meniscus, had a bucket handle tear, had a you know a partially torn ACL, and then I took about 10 years off. Uh so when I started back up again two years ago, I was 36, um, and had not done any martial arts, you know, I I maybe took a class here and there because I was like, I thought I was gonna get going again. And then I did one session and then stopped and, you know, uh kind of convinced myself that I had, it wasn't really for me. It wasn't gonna fit my schedule, or whatever the case might be. So when I started two years ago, I just committed and I said, you know what? I'm just going to show up however often I can, two two to three days a week. And I'm just going to commit to just that. And I'm going to be as consistent um, as I can with, with that. And yes, when I first started, so back then, I mean, I was in my late teens, early 20s, mid 20s. Yeah. My uh, life was different. I didn't have kids. Uh, my work, I, you know, I worked in a gym, um, but I was, you know, I was uh, mid 20s personal, you know, mid-20 year old personal trainer, uh without a super busy schedule at the time, you know what I mean? And I literally made my work revolve around training. Uh so my lifestyle was a lot different then. So I, I can't really recall, you know, if I was necessarily beat up a lot back then, other than, you know, having a few injuries, you know, uh, I tore my labrum in two thousand four as well, doing jujitsu. Um so this time around, kind of coming back and knowing that, well, I'm I'm older, I have a family, uh, I can't afford to get injured in the sense that I, I just I, I enjoy training too much. I don't want to have to take six months off or a year off because I, you know, had to get another surgery. So, um, to kind of tie in with your question, I, I decided to take the approach that I was going to a try to train as smart as I could, meaning uh, don't bite off more than I can chew within a single training session. Uh, avoid getting into kind of the pissing matches that you know typically happen especially at the lower belts Um, and just be cautious of my uh, ability to recover between sessions so you know when I first started back up again being you know being a little bit older having a little bit more on my plate I was definitely like I, I remember those first three to six months especially were like you know, a callousing period, if you will, of, you know, going just even just twice a week. I remember being sore in places that I just haven't been so, you know, you just I haven't felt that level of fatigue in a very long time, because even especially, uh, you know, I was a blue belt then. And, and you know, even then, I, I had years prior of, of experience in martial arts, you know, everybody says to relax and stay calm. And you think you think you're doing that. You're not doing that. Like, you're not like, you know, you know, until you kind of get those reps under your belt, any white belt or blue belt who thinks they're just chilling out and, and you know, they're flow, they're going with the flow. They're, they're, they're not, they're generally being a spaz. And I was probably that, that spaz as well. So you get, mm-hmm. you get fatigued very easily. You get sore in places you haven't been sore in a very long time. Um Strength training probably takes a little bit of a backseat or your ability to handle higher training loads outside of even just low volume jujitsu, like are definitely compromised. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I definitely had to make some adjustments to my strength and conditioning, um, which over time, you know, the more consistent you are, uh, that definitely gets easier. Um, And I guess that's if I, if I try to preach anything online, it's kind of the message of just being consistent, um, you know, kind of maybe starting with a more minimal effective dose as much, you know, people like to make fun of that because now, you know, everybody and their mom is David Goggins now. And if you're not, you know, <laughs> going above and beyond, like, but as a mid thirties, you know, non-athlete really, um, I try to just take the, uh, take the road of uh, maybe not the road less traveled, but definitely the the road that's going to lead me to, uh, less injury uh less feeling like for like you know i don't know if you swear on this podcast but let's not feeling like yeah. dog shit uh you know mm-hmm. more days of the week than not, and um yeah. you know i i want to be able to train tomorrow like that's my you know that's always my goal uh yeah
0: yeah, so in that uh the period from two thousand nine to two thousand twenty where you weren't doing b j j were you still heavily involved in strength and conditioning and lifting
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah and i i I've been working in the fitness industry in some capacity since 2005 or six. Uh, so sure. I, I worked in a gym for 14, 15 years and had a variety of roles within, within there and had left in 2018 to pursue more of an online uh, coaching business. Um, mm-hmm. COVID happened and I had a son and for a variety of reasons, uh kind of took one foot out of the fitness industry and uh, I have a, job entirely not related to fitness um but it allows me to kind of sustain both and i'm not in a rush to you know to do anything on that end so to, to answer your, your question that you got to um which can you repeat that i'm sorry i got lost in my own uh, well,
0: I, I, I was asking about the the training period like have oh you yeah still yeah, been
1: yeah. Do- so yeah so i so working in fitness and being like i'm very passionate about strength conditioning as i've experimented with a bunch of different training methodologies and and trying different, you know, competing in different things, uh, at a low level, but still competing. Uh so, you know, before the hybrid thing was very popular and people, you know, now everybody's a hybrid athlete and deadlifting six hundred pounds and running five minute miles. And I not that I could ever do that, but I hired a coach back in like two thousand fourteen, uh kind of the guy who popularized hybrid training, you know, now, um, Alex Viotta. and You know, I worked with him for a long time. Um Getting you know, trying to get my mile time down and my deadlift up, that kind of thing. Um,
0: how did yeah. how did that go for you with working with Alex? I've I've been following him for a while, and he's always putting out great information.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was so 2014. I want to say is when I uh, hired him, and you know, his business was well established at that point, but not you know, complete human performance, not the juggernaut that it is now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you know, working with him was was great because you know, he was still doing the programming. He was my, he was my coach. I made such great progress that I ultimately stopped training with him. (laughs) And Like, you know, in hindsight, being twenty twenty, I should have probably stuck with it, especially, you know, at the rate that I had back then, you know, um, I think I just got, I was interested in other things at, at a certain point, but it was great. Like I, I'm not a super athlete by any means, but I could deadlift almost three times my body weight. I could run a sub six minute mile and squat, double body, you know, just those cool things that, check check off which again i'm not a super strong or super fit guy but um Mm. looking back i was like actually shit i don't know if i could do some of those now so (laughs) you know it's um uh, you never know when your last pr you know when your last pr is your last pr not that i'm not that i don't think those days are over i'm just you know (laughs) looking back it's like oh man like i actually uh excelled with his programming and uh learned a lot from him in, in particular so um, but yeah, so I, I, worked with him. I did some CrossFit style stuff for a little bit too after that, yeah. um, got into more endurance training. Like I've dabbled in a little bit of everything, um, just because I find it interesting, uh, probably have a little bit of training, uh, ADD and probably make more progress. I'm sure if I stuck to one thing, but, uh, ultimately I, you know, I like to enjoy the process and, and, uh, experiment and try new things and, uh, you know, I still have a stable of clients that I work with, and so I try things out to uh, ultimately—not necessarily that everything that I do is not, um, I'm going to impart on my clients, but you know, you learn from experiences to to some degree, especially as, I think the longer you've been doing this. So um, I do like that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, cause to me, it sounds like you have like a vast array of tools that you can kind of pull from, for, from, pr- for programming purposes in terms of strength and conditioning. So today with you, I want to really just dive into what you think is best for, uh, a person like yourself, kind of the maybe mid thirties limited on time that wants to excel at BJJ, but still incorporate some strength and conditioning into their, into their life. So, um, we can tackle this in any way you yeah. want, but maybe maybe let's start with the conditioning side of things. We can kind of talk about that and how you think is the best way to approach conditioning for the the BJJ athlete.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about some of this before we got on, just because I wanted to have some talking points. And yeah. so the way I look at strength conditioning for jujitsu jiu- athletes in particular, it, you know, if you go into any academy and you're just sitting around with the with the your your classmate, your peers, and you're talking like, you know, what do you do for strength conditioning? You're going to have like a third of the people or more who are, you know, they kind of dabble. They do some because they know they should kind of thing, but there's no real rhyme or reason to it. It's kind of like I go in and I bench press on Monday because Mondays are for bench pressing and I don't really have any thought towards it. Or, you know, I heard that doing interval training is supposed to be great for my, my cardio, but there's no thought process behind it and there's no rationale behind it. Why they're doing what they're doing, or progressions involved, or anything like that, right? That's mm-hmm. one group. Then you have the group who are like they're hardcore competitors, they but they strengthen, they do strength and conditioning strictly because they know it's going to make them a better competitor. So they're doing it almost out of um, you know, they don't love you know, they're like a typical athlete in a sense, they don't love strength and conditioning, maybe the way you and I do. They're going to do it because it's going to make them a better competitor and better on the mats, but begrudgingly so right Mm -hmm. um and then i think you have the guys like you and i who kind of come from this training background where kind of geek out on on programming and all the nuances that go into um you know program design and and you know periodization and yada 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 um so i think to answer that question it depends who, who you're who you're talking to right and one of the things that i try to think of is like looking at like almost viewing strength conditioning as or like the, like a gap analysis or forming a gap analysis when you're, when you're looking at something like what's the lowest hanging fruit that is going to get that person from point A to point B from, you know, where they are currently on their journey, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if somebody has never done any low intensity cardiovascular conditioning, you know, uh, Zone two, low intensity steady state, whatever the verbiage that you want to use to describe that. That's probably your, you know, outside of going to class and being consistent, learning how to pace, and all of those factors that go into sport specific development. Mm-hmm. That's going to be your low hanging fruit because it's not necessarily fatiguing. It's not going to take a ton of, especially early on, time uh, necessarily. Because yeah, volume is important for cardiovascular adaptations, but if you have done zero, you know you've done zero minutes up to this point. Other than going to math, you know, sixty to ninety minutes a week could be more than sufficient for for gain. You know, for those kind of gains early on. Um, yeah. and you know, and then at the point, like, how do you how do you progress that? How do you you know how does a person know when when they should add more? Uh, you know, I would say you could look at obviously the metrics of whatever piece of cardiovascular equipment you're using. You know, or, or your your watts going up on the bike are your, mm-hmm. you know, is your heart rate uh, staying the same? You know, your working heart rate, but you're work now able to apply more, you know, uh, use more power or whatever the case is, or go at a faster pace, uh, as well as like, as well as like uh, health metrics, you know, how is your resting heart rate, uh, your HRV, if you measure something like that, your blood pressure, whatever the case is um, and use that as kind of your gauge and also performance, you know, that's subjective because athletes are very, Especially uh, jujitsu, especially I think can kind of go down this rabbit hole of like they're very they go by feel. Like I, I feel this way on the mats, and and uh sometimes it may be true or maybe not, but that's how they feel, right? So they're you know you can prescribe whatever conditioning protocol you want, and I'm ultimately looking for for feedback of like how, how do you actually feel when you're rolling? You know what I mean? Like
0: mm-hmm. do you
1: feel more recovered between rounds? Do you feel like you have that extra gear when you know, during a scramble and you have to turn it up a notch, uh, you know, how about the, you know, the day to day, like, are you, uh, able to recover well from a hard training session that you maybe had the previous day and you can go at it again the next day or the, or, or the day after, um, mm-hmm. taking those things into account, you know? So
0: would that be like the, the first thing you would kind of layer into someone's, someone's program, if they're not kind of like doing anything outside of VJJ technique and, and rolling classes, Is just some low level cardio. Generally speaking, yes, because the mm-hmm.
1: cost is so low. You know, yeah. if I have you do sixty to ninety minutes a week of uh, low intensity cardiovascular training, and you know, the, the worst case scenario is you lose sixty to ninety minutes of your of your week. You know, for whatever. <laughs> but I mean, there's a million You know, there's a million ways to spend that time that are still, in my opinion, is still productive. Uh, you know, while you're doing car, you know, that kind of cardio.
0: Yeah.
1: But you're not. You know, you're you're not losing out anything. You're not going to risk overreaching or overtraining it's not going to dip into your recovery for your jiu-jitsu sessions if anything it's only going to be a net positive right in terms of helping alter like parasympathetic tones, so you can actually like calm calm down and recover uh and obviously you know the the other health benefits that that go along with that especially if somebody's middle you know middle aged uh maybe jiu isn't their full-time sport uh, I think it's a good idea. I have a hunch it's a good idea to learn how to incorporate strength and conditioning because there's going to be times in your life where you can't get on the mats and you're going to want to have that that habit, right, of being able to being able to train when you're not doing jiu-jitsu. And uh, I think that's another key to like uh, – that's been a key for my longevity personally, I, I feel. Mm-hmm. And also I think it will help anybody else that's willing to just put in that little bit of extra time focus and energy into, um, and, and you know, to doing so.
0: Definitely. Would you say that the technique classes or any aspect of Jiu Jitsu in, in the, in the class itself is kind of, would it be considered zone two like the technique or.
1: Uh, so that's where like, in my opinion, the waters are kind of muddy there because with yeah. Jiu Jitsu you're, there's a lot of isometric contractions. You're, you know, and it's not a cyclical sport and yes, you're going to be breathing hard. Your heart rate might land you squarely in that zone and like you mentioned if it's more of a technical class where the intensity is low you're able to uh maintain nasal breathing not that that's a prerequisite but you know it's you could if you needed to kind of thing right yeah. um yeah you're gonna get that low level aerobic base now do i think it's as good as say getting on a on a biker and just kind of flowing at that you know 75 80 85 rpms and getting that consistent blood flow Not necessarily. I think they're two different things. Um, Having said that, if someone's like, I have one hour a week to train, I can't do anything else, but I love jujitsu, I'm going to say go to jujitsu. And you know what I mean? Get your Mm training volume in there, and we can worry about the other stuff later
0: on. Yeah. So let's say that someone starts to incorporate that sixteen and nine minutes of the the zone two or or whatever you want to call it into their into their schedule. What would be like a next piece of conditioning that you might consider adding to kind of benefit them on the mats?
1: Yeah, so in that case, you know, so I I work with so my instructor I handle his strength and conditioning. Um, and mm-hmm. he's uh he's been a high level competitor for a long time, fifteen plus years. He's on the mats more than anybody I know. He's that high volume, six to ten sessions a week, a lot of rolling. So I actually, for him, I don't prescribe any low intensity conditioning because he is get he is that guy. He's his volume of training is so high that he's hitting a lot of those uh, kind of volume that Even though I, I'm kind of eating my words on what I just said, <laughs> in that I w- I would like him to get in some for just feeling good and and just general um, like for like GPP, right. General physical preparedness. And I Mm -hmm. think it would help, but his time is limited. Right. So understanding his circumstances and kind of leading into your question here, um, I would move in, you know, I have him doing quite a few uh, like moderate intensity intervals, right. So more tempo style intervals where we're working in that like 70 to 80% effort range, not quite all out, uh, i'm playing with work to rest ratios more so from the basis of keeping it somewhat interesting uh not that there's a dramatic difference between doing a fifteen second uh you know fifteen seconds of work and forty five seconds of rest versus one minute of work and one i don 't think there's a huge difference in that over the long term but just for the yep. sake of like and keeping engagement high um so i 'll do yep. quite a bit of that and then I will play with higher intensity stuff but on a less frequent basis you know this would be your 90 plus percent effort your zone let's say zone five type type efforts um uh and i'll vary that from more uh of your like full or complete recovery type work your a lactic type sprint work you know five Mm -hmm. to ten maybe a few more seconds than that on and near full recovery off right um just to kind of get that gear so if you know if somebody is um let's say they train a lot and their style of jujitsu is particularly more relaxed and they never get, they they never really get into scrambles. They're never really getting that opportunity to really like turn it up. That would be a a case where I might include something like that a little bit more frequently because they're not touching on that during their, during their roles. Uh, they're never really hitting that, like that next gear, And Mm -hmm. now when it does happen, they're kind of like, Oh shit. Right. Um, So I will incorporate some more of that, um, just because it's also not going to beat you up as bad either, especially with a complete recovery. What I don't tend to incorporate as much, or what I say for more infrequent bouts is more of your like glycolytic incomplete recovery where you're working really hard. Uh, you're not necessarily recovering completely between efforts, uh, Mm -hmm. and you're relying more on that glycolytic system to kind of, you know, to, uh, you know, replenish ATP and, and whatnot. So um, the problem with that is that we already get a lot of that in jujitsu. You know, even just a moderate effort roll is going to be fairly glycolytic in nature. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily want to hit that system a bunch of times in the same week. Uh, yeah. Having said that, I think it's important to still touch on it once in a while, because mm-hmm. just like I noted with the with the low intensity side, you know, if you're never really kind of pushing that cyclical type modality you're on an airdyne or biker or rower and you could just go as hard as you can for 30 seconds you have a predetermined amount of rest and you can repeat that for however many rounds like you're not going to get that when you roll you know when you're rolling it's more um you know you're you're working with another human being so there's a lot of other factors involved and so you know one if you're doing let's say a five minute round One five minute round can go one way, but another five minute round can go a completely different way. And you're kind of getting this mixed bag of uh, energy system development, if you will, versus sometimes I just I want you to train this particular thing. So if you're a competitor and you're going to competition, I want you to have that. If anything, just the you want to be able to remember, like, okay, I've been there. I know my output is at this at this type of pace. I know I can recover from this. It sucks. But here we are. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that's an important quality to train um mm-hmm. even if infrequently
0: would that be like um i guess similar to like a vo2 max style workout
1: <clears throat> yeah you... correct and and there's different different forms of that in different interval uh mm-hmm. type or styles of intervals that you can get that same kind of training effect mm-hmm. but you know if you've ever done vo2 max style <laughs> intervals like a three minute on three minute off or something along those lines and there's different mm-hmm. ways of accumulating the same amount of workload like you could do, you know, 30, 90, you, you know, anything to kind of, you know, spend time in that like two to five minutes of like suck, <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to kind of get the same effect. So again, you could play with different um, work to rest ratios and uh, kind of get the same result, but yeah, it's, it's that same super high effort. Uh, and it's, it's going to, it it just demands so much out of you that, If you're combining that with very demanding roles in the gym, competition-style training, whatever that means for you in your gym, uh, I think you're just – you're creating an environment that's very difficult to recover from uh, per my experience and just on on my estimation of just watching other people kind of go through that. Um, Yeah, yeah, so I tend to do that more infrequently, I guess.
0: Would you maybe incorporate when they have like a a lull in training in the gym or maybe – near some sort of competition where they might need an additional session or.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we know, you know, those, those um, adaptations are going to happen fairly quickly. You yeah. know, in a, in a few weeks, you're going to kind of tap out at your ability to, to really push that extra X percent, you know, above what, where you currently are. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'll use that type of stuff in more of a sharpening phase, right. Where we're getting ready for competition. Um or in a period of time where like, hey, I'm not getting in the gym that much, uh, in the jiu gym, you know, in the academy that much. I'm mm-hmm. not getting super hard rolls in or I'm really trying to work on being more technical. I'm slowing things down. Then it makes sense to maybe include that once a week or so um, uh, as a as a way to just kind of keep that system fresh. Or even on a less free, you know, every second or third week, you know, I, I found that to be pretty, um, a pretty good uh, a way to keep it in, so to speak, without – you know, totally draining the, you know, you know, draining the system and, and and uh it almost makes you want to do the session versus like dragging yourself through the session. You know, I kind mm-hmm. of use that as a gauge for high intensity work. If somebody's like, I want to do that workout, I'm ready to attack what I you know, what's on paper and I want to do it better than last time, then you're ready to do the session. But I find if like you're really dragging ass. Yeah, sometimes you gotta push through. I get that. But mm-hmm. For I, in in my mind, if you don't have a competition coming up and you're just looking for long term like aerobic development, then I I think you should like want to, you should want to attack those sessions. And mm-hmm. so putting them maybe a little bit more infrequently, every ten days, every fourteen days, depending on how mo- how much you're rolling, every twenty one days, I think is a nice sweet spot where a lot of people can get a lot of benefits without like the burnout factor. You know,
0: you'll get so much more out of it if you want to do it right. You can put more a lot more effort into it. It kind of it reminds me of, you obviously follow Dr. Peter tia or know of him, and yep, yep. Can, like he recommends one or two VO2 max sessions a week, which I couldn't imagine doing indefinitely. No. Just, just destroy yourself, so <laughs> it would not be fun mentally, right?
1: Yeah, and it's like, you can do that. Of course, anybody can do that, <laughs> but like, I would rather go, okay, for the next four to six weeks or however many weeks we're going to do this and I want to see incremental improvements over those time over that period of time. Like mentally, that's just a such, that's just a, a much easier task to handle. And uh, you know, people can kind of wrap their heads around that versus like, yeah, we're just going to do this once a week and definitely good luck. Like that sucks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hundred percent on the air diner, some, some nasty oh, too. Like that. Yeah. In terms of, I'm going to kind of circle back to the tempo work yeah. that you have your instructor doing. What is the purpose of that style of training in, in your opinion?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you go back and you check out like the old Charlie Francis literature, like he used to have his sprinters do, you know, one day they were doing 90 plus percent efforts, you know, uh, high effort sprints, full recovery, 10, 20 minutes between bouts, that kind of thing. And then on opposing days, he would have them do these tempo runs where, you know, is that about 70, 75 percent effort, uh, moderate recovery periods in between. So you're kind of maintaining this what would typically be like a zone two heart rate in between efforts. Um, and the idea is just again, I look at it as a slightly elevated intensity from typical zone 2 where you can accumulate a good amount of volume in a perhaps a shorter period of time. Uh I think it's one mm-hmm. way to look at it. The other way that um Joel Jameson who's kind of, you know, he's become very popular. I mean, I got his book in 2009, but he's I feel like <laughs> he's made his way to kind of the fitness mainstream, which is awesome because more people are talking about like actually intelligent conditioning but you know he uses tempo uh, intervals as a way to kind of like get your like get your nervous system kind of prepped and ready to go you do you know 10 to 20 relatively short bouts doesn't take a lot of time doesn't take a lot of energy generally you'll feel pretty good the day after
0: mm-hmm. and you've
1: gotten this like mild stimulus that isn't totally crushing um and it's just a little bit of volume to kind of keep those things ticking along now are you going to be, you know, are you going to qualify for Kona doing tempo intervals? (laughs) Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Or qualify for Boston doing tempo. No, but for our purposes of just developing, uh, you know, uh, aerobic conditioning for both health and uh, our ability to um, put out moderate effort levels on the mat and, and repeat those moderate effort levels over and over again, I think they're a pretty darn valuable tool. And again, there's a bunch of ways to make those intervals not boring each and every week uh, and Mm -hmm. still get the same training effect. They're short, you know what I mean? In terms of like, you don't, you know, you're not spending an hour doing those. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people I can sit on a bike for an hour and do zone two, but most people do not want to do that. So I don't necessarily prescribe that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I can get you to do a a warm up, 15 or 20 minutes of tempo and then of tempo intervals and then a quick cool down. And if you've accumulated 30 to 40 minutes without really thinking about it, that's mm-hmm. like a win for me and a win for you, you
0: know? Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've recently purchased the, the Morpheus app. So like uh-huh. there was a time when I could do a bunch of zone two, like hours <laughs> of it at a time, like during when I used to do ultra marathons. Um, but now it's like, it's very a dreaded, I dread doing it. So yeah, just having that ability to kind of just look at something and like throw in a little bit like mental stimulus while you're doing it can make it go by so much faster by changing the the tempos and, and the intensities during the session. Yeah. Yeah, I no, really I, I
1: think that's uh again, I, I think you know adherence is the you know, even for athletes, right? Even the most hardcore of athletes, like adherence is still, you know, the number one predictor of success ultimately, right? So if you yeah. hate doing it, you dread doing it. Uh, you're not gonna do it plain and simple. Now obviously it depends on your goal, right? You're not mm-hmm. gonna put in uh, you know, two hours of, of conditioning a week to run an ultra marathon. We all we all know that. But um, you know, the the dose required for a jiu-jitsu athlete who's already spending multiple hours per week exercising in some fashion, um, it's that's perfect. You know, and I think uh we can, you know, take a bunch of boxes off with that.
0: Agreed. So I think we did a good job of kind of covering kind of the conditioning aspect. Let's transition over to more of the strength side of things, yeah. things like, I think a, a good question to start us start with is how, how strong is strong enough for BJJ? Cause it's definitely a lot of people talk about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I like this question and I, and I, you hear, this is what you hear about all the time, right? People give, you know, very specific, like you should be able to squat X amount of your body weight or bench press X amount of your body weight, this many pull-offs or whatever. And I don't think those things are wrong. I think standards are, they can be useful because it gives you uh, a number to shoot for. And if somebody's very like numerically driven and they want to see that, then yeah, that's a cool, like have that kind of as your goalpost. Um, But ultimately I think it depends on the person, right? Because we all have different leverages and anthropometrics and, you know uh, what might be a big bench press for myself might be piddly for a guy who is like, you know, his arms are like, a foot long and he you know he bench presses and he moves the bar, you know, uh mm-hmm. three inches off his chest and that's his lockout, right? Um <laughs> so obviously it all depends on the individual. Um however strong is strong. And when you're rolling some with somebody, you know when they're strong. And oftentimes it's not reflective of what they can do in the weight room almost at all. You know, uh yes, I think it helps and I view strength training as again going back to the gap analysis. If somebody has a very serious gap in strength, they're getting you know, they're getting pummeled in the room by guys lighter than them, or girls lighter than them, whatever, you know, or they've never touched weights before. And they just they're starting to feel like they're like, OK, like I I'm not the strongest guy when I roll with other people. Then, yes, we're going to focus on getting you stronger. But then anything outside of that point, and I'll answer your question in a moment, I think it's just like money in the bank to where like my goal is to be in my 50s or 60s and to still roll as competitively as i can with the young guys so if i can continue to train and you know whatever little bits and pieces i can kind of add on to my strength repertoire if you will like that's going to be a bonus for me because i'm not super competitive i'm not worried about it taking away time on the match or anything like that mm-hmm. um sorry but okay. in terms of like what's strong enough i don't have a great answer and again you know it when you see it if you're somebody who's like you've you're you've been training in the gym and you already squat i don't know twice your body weight you're strong enough like i I don't know what to tell you like should you try to improve it i don't like you know we all know that guy who like the first time they bench press they put up like 225 for sets of like 10 or something right it's like (laughs) so that person is like a freak so what i'm trying to say though that guy has to put in way less effort to get his bench press from Let's say, I don't know, pick the number, 225 for 10 reps to 315 for 10 reps. He's just, it might happen in six months versus mm-hmm. like, I may never bench press 315 pounds no matter how much, like no matter what I do for my training from here until, the, you know, the day I die. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, there's a, a cost to benefit ratio that I'm I'm always concerned with. Like, what is the cost of putting that much effort into getting stronger uh, versus the benefit? You know, and you, yeah. I think every person has to weigh that for themselves um, if you're the big, strong guy in your gym, but you're still like a spaz when you roll or you're still like not quite, you know, you're not building the technical skills required for you to get better and you care about getting better in jujitsu, eh, maybe you back off a little bit. You kind of do a minimal effective dose, whatever that means for you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you you work on other aspects of your game. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, I still think we should try to get strong and, and maintain that throughout our life for health reasons, you know, uh not only will it help you on the mats, but I, I view it as again, this like investment for our future or my future. So that when I'm in my 50s and in my 60s, yeah, I might not be able to do pull-ups with X amount of body, you know, X amount of weight hanging off my waist or anything, but I'll still have something in the bank, right? I'll still have this reserve left over. So I think that's a good idea. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh again, everybody's number when they're numbers when they're looking at their their training log is going to be a little bit different, but um, again, it's it's one of those things you know when you feel it, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think you're like you nailed it on the head. It's so, it's so important to look at each each individual, right? Because some, like you said, some people they might just be able to step in the step into the gym first time they bench they hit 225. Someone else first time in the in the gym, they maybe they're only benching 95 pounds. So for yeah. that person to get up to that 315 pound bench, they're going to have to devote a lot of resources to getting stronger. And in that case, likely they're going to be taking a lot of other things away to acquire that 315 bench, which is going to have greater detriment to their athletic abilities. Yes. So that's exactly. where like, that's where strength can become like a big decrement for people that are trying to chase specific numbers, especially people who aren't built to be extremely strong.
1: Exactly. And, and I, you know, and um it looks, you know, it's great because it looks good on Instagram. If you, you know, if you're really strong in the gym, that kind of thing. But um, mm-hmm. it may not always translate to your to your ultimate goal. But if you're somebody who, like you, know, I love powerlifting. I want to compete in powerlifting, and I want to train jiu-jitsu because that's that's just what I like to do, and it's fun. Like in my opinion, have at it. Like no one's telling you what to do. I think um, it ultimately comes down to what what are your preferences. You know, do you want to get better at jujitsu, and is that your your ultimate goal, or is jiu-jitsu more of a hobby and you do it for the social aspect, you do it for another, another form of exercise, then that answer isn't, you know, it, it's entirely different um, for that person.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of BJJ, like obviously if someone's kind of interested in, interested in that hybrid model of powerlifting and BJJ, obviously they're going to kind of gear more towards the, the big three. But let's say that someone wants to be like the best BJJ competitor, what lifts are you going to be attacking in terms of building up strength in?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the answer is going to be pretty vanilla. Like, I'm looking at your basic movement patterns. We're going to do some sort of horizontal push and pull, uh, some sort of vertical or vertical-ish push or pull. Vertical-ish meaning, uh, you know, with the shoulder issues that a lot of jiu players have. They might not be able to go completely overhead, but we're going to do some sort of, uh, you know, you know landmine or inclined variation, something like that. Uh, some sort of squatting pattern uh, may not be a back squat or you know, um, but something a bilateral squat, uh, some sort of hinge, uh, and then maybe some you know, I might include some uh, like supplemental, like accessory, like isolation or single joint exercises in there. So, you know, could be biceps, triceps, leg extension, leg curl. Back, you know, uh, neck extension, mm-hmm. neck flexion, lateral flexion, whatever. Have you um, seen?
0: Have you seen any exercises that translate really well to BJJ? Like something unconventional, like a zercher squat, or not? Mm,
1: really? No, not, not necessarily. I think uh, so. Zercher like, <laughs> squats have gotten like they've blown up over the last few years on Instagram. But I personally like them. I'm not a great back squatter uh, due to my mm-hmm. leverages, but when I put the bar in the crook of my elbows, like squatting feels really good. Uh, so, I like the Zercher squat. I haven't done it much recently, but uh, I'm not doing it for carryover to my jiu jitsu at all. It's purely because it's a squatting pattern that feels good for me. Um, and uh, it allows me to utilize more weight uh, or as much weight as, as a back squat with uh, seemingly less, uh, well, I guess, lower back involvement. I mean, that's to be determined. Uh, there's a lot of infighting, in right? And then on the internet, there's <laughs> lots of physics. In a squat, and it's like, whatever. <laughs> do whatever squat you like. Um, But no, I I don't, I don't think there's any one lift that necessarily carries over to jujitsu. Having said that, if a a client or somebody wanted to work with me and they're like, you know, I I mean, I might have this type type of conversation, very candid and be like, you know, there's no real lifts in the gym that are going to carry over to you. Or I might just, if they're like, they just want to hear what I'm going to tell them, then I'm going to say, yeah, fucking Zurcher squats are going to carry over to you. (laughs) Like, you know, if that means you're going to do them kind of thing or whatever the, you name the list right um mm-hmm. i just think being able to i don't i don't know I don't know how to say this without being able to move well whatever that means for you uh it doesn't necessarily mean you have, need to like pass certain table tests or anything like that but can you squat and it look like a squat can you hinge and it looks like a hinge uh you know can you move your shoulder blade you know can your shoulder blades move in like a horizontal like a push up or something like i want to see those kinds of things Mm-hmm. And I think that will have more carryover than, um, you know, like, Hey, I'm attacking this one lift or this one movement because I think it's going to you know, carry over to my jujitsu because we could say like, Oh, a weighted pull up. But if your elbows are fucked because of jujitsu, like you're not going to have a great way to pull. like, so there has to be alternatives built in there. I'm just using, I'm picking on the pull up as an example, but uh, mm-hmm. ho- hopefully you can kind of see where I'm coming from. Yeah,
0: definitely. And then, cause I know you can have like a little bit of a, in based on what I've seen on Instagram some sort of like, uh, Bill Hartman, Zach couples kind of influence. And, um, is that correct? Uh, v-
1: v- very little. Pat? I, I okay. very, very little. Like Pat Davidson is somebody who I, okay. well, all right. Going back to like maybe 2018 to round that 2018, 2019, I, um, found Kyle Dobbs online. So, uh, on Instagram, if you follow at compound performance, um, took him on or he took me on in a more of like a coaching, like mentorship role at that time. And yep. I was introduced to like Pat Davidson, went to a couple of Pat seminars, saw Zach at a seminar. I wouldn't say I'm a PRI guy at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I have very surface level knowledge of all that stuff. You know uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what's the saying? Like an inch wide and in a or an inch deep and <laughs> in a mile wide kind of thing. Um, so <laughs> I know a little bit uh, enough to, talk to somebody who has no idea what I'm talking about and sounds smart, but not, <laughs> not with actually anybody who knows what the fuck they're talking about.
0: Yeah. So when, it, when I was just bringing that up, cause I, you mentioned like you want to be able to see a good hinge and a good squat. So like yeah. a good squat to you, is that just like a nice vertical pelvic movement based exercise or is it okay if it translate more horizontal or.
1: Yeah. I, I like, can Again, you this... do the, can somebody do the movement? I guess is my first like, prerequisite like
0: mm-hmm.
1: i guess like if you can you do a goblet squat and it look like a goblet squat and then if you want to load it whether that's an a searcher or in the back and you're hinging i don't i don't really care that much you know what i mean okay. um it's more of like hey can you you know get get in a deep hip flexion uh and not have you know and not like not be in pain like that's my number one thing uh if mm-hmm. it if you can do if you can low bar back squat, not that I'm, I'm saying that's a, maybe a great idea for somebody who does jujitsu because of the, you know, the requisite uh, shoulder mobility needed, but it doesn't cause you pain and you like doing it and you're able to move a lot of weight. Fuck. Yeah. Go like low bar back squat. I don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, uh, is going to keep you training and excited to train is the best thing for you.
0: Nice. That's great. great message. Now I want to kind of transition more into kind of some of the stuff that I see on your Instagram around kind of more athletic athleticism based training. So more like ground based training, more jumping, skipping, bounding, those sorts of things. I think that's something that's kind of not really discussed a whole lot in this space. So how do you, how do you incorporate those things into someone's kind of program for being a, a better athlete and BJJ competitor? Or
1: yeah. Hobby, so hobbyist. I, uh, first of all, for like, I've been doing plyometrics or plyometric based training on and off since i don't know i was a kid right like you go back to um kind of the og of true hybrid training do you know who ross animate is
0: i do not know
1: ross animate do yourself a favor go on youtube look up ross animate this dude's been putting out videos of him doing like he's a he's a boxing strength conditioning coach and a boxing coach out of connecticut but mm-hmm. he's kind of the og like he could do all the crazy stuff you see people doing now he was doing it in 2003 like benching double body weight he could do like crazy plyometrics like had all kind like he could do it all right so just going back to like my time like watching his stuff i've been doing some form of plyometric training for however long but obviously uh matt mckinnis watson at plus plyos on instagram uh he's kind of taken plyometrics to like a different level and has found a way to categorize it and organize it in a way to like dunce like me could kind of figure out how to program it and have it make sense so a lot of the stuff that you see me doing is from from him, right? And, and mm-hmm. other resources around, but he's kind of like he's the goat right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my opinion on plyometrics and like sprint work or anything like that is I don't think it's going to make me a better jujitsu athlete, at least not in the immediate term. Um, it's kind of going back to that like I'm building like an investment portfolio so that when I'm in my fifties or whatever, and or you know I'm thirty eight, so when I'm in my forties uh i'll have like some of that athleticism to like pull back like to pull from if if i need it right mm-hmm. uh i think that's one of the things you up until recently i think plyometrics have gotten a lot more like again thanks to matt and kins watson in my opinion we've got a lot more play on instagram and, and on social media i think more people recognize the value there but in the jiu-jitsu and combat sport um world you weren't seeing that much of it because you know jiu-jitsu is a it's a ground-based sport you're not hopping around on one leg you're not it's not really dynamic, especially in the ghee, right? You're not, you're not really moving all that dynamically outside of a scramble. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to maintain some sort of, like, athleticism or elasticity? Um, and my, again, I'm going back to, like, I just want to have some semblance of athleticism when I'm, you know, in 15, 20 years from now. Um, I do think it has some payoff now. Like, I, I, I can, you know, I think I still move pretty well. I think being a better all-around athlete, especially if you're like a hobbyist, I think it's just a good idea in general, like mm-hmm. kind of pigeonholing yourself, you know, as like, I only do jujitsu and I lift weights to get, to get jacked. It's fine. You're, you'll do fine. You'll probably crush, you know, if you're, if you're good and you're technical and you're strong, you'll crush most people. But uh, I do like being able to move and being able to move well, well enough. Uh, and um, it's just something that I, I personally appreciate. Uh, so when I'm working with folks, I start them off with, like, really low-level, like, extensive-style plyometrics to kind of just build um, kind of that resiliency in, like, the like the lower leg, like, calf, foot, re, you know, ankle region. So, like, your basic pogo hops and various split stance pogo hops, lateral pogo hops, things like that, or like, really low-level, um, mm-hmm. just enough sprinkled in to, um, A, act as, like, either a warm-up before a lifting or a conditioning session. Or sometimes it's mm-hmm. a cool down even, um, you know, it's not technically a cool down, but like at the end of a session uh, and not super high volume just because most folks haven't been privy to any of that kind of stuff. So they don't need a lot. They just need kind of like a minimal effective dose to get uh, quite a bit of benefit. And also my clients aren't me. You know, like I, I'll, I, I, you know, I might do 20 minutes or 25 minutes worth of plows in a session or as an example because I, I might have a non-jujitsu related goal that I'm working towards or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I understand most people don't. So I I don't program super high volumes there. Literally just enough to, you know, five to ten minutes worth to scratch that itch, get them primed and ready. And um, not that I necessarily believe in, like, a progression model for uh, plyometrics. And that's another thing uh, Matt mckenna Watson has kind of helped show us is that you don't necessarily need to, like, have this strict progression model per se uh, as much as just exposing people to different movement patterns, um, uh, different varieties of, of different options, single leg, double leg. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of, for lack of a better term, like making it it's almost like a brain game and, and, uh, you know, giving a different stimuli than they otherwise would never get in jujitsu or, or in a string session. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. That makes great sense. And I'm just thinking, thinking about the the brain games part. Like, as most people age, too, like, they're at a risk of develop, developing dementia. And, like, right. the thing that the thing that people prescribe is, like, dancing and kickboxing and things that just, like, yep. require, you, require you to think. So it makes great sense. I thought that, I guess, if you had, like, an athlete who does more martial arts, the plows could maybe be potentially more beneficial for them, just for, like, striking sports yeah. on their feet Boxing, and whatnot. A-
1: absolutely, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You just don't see it in uh, – you know, now you're seeing more of, like, these uh, – more yielding based or like what's called like deep tier plyometrics uh come into play where you're kind of in these low squatty positions i think those are super valuable yep. because you'll find yourself in those positions quite frequently in in jiu-jitsu and i think it's just um more of like a preventative measure for you know knee and ankle health um and so you get you can get some a little bit of a metabolic effect you know aerobic training effect doing that kind of stuff which is another reason why i like plyometrics it's a way to um make aerobic work less boring so mm-hmm. uh, a typical, like aerobic session is I might have them start off with, let's say five to ten minutes worth of metrics, So that's let's, let's say ten minutes of of conditioning right there. You know they might do another five minute warm up on the bike, ten minutes of tempos, so another five. You know what I mean. So it's a way to accumulate time, yeah, kind of that whatever zone you want to use, uh, yep. heart rate.
0: I want to get in. I just want to ask a little more specifics. This is just for my for myself. I'm just interested in learning a little bit more about the yielding, ice yielding plyometrics versus the extensive ice, uh, ex, yeah, yielding an extensive yep. plyometrics. Can we talk about the difference between those two?
1: Yeah. So again, my explanation here is not going to be as good as like <laughs> as the experts in this. But so your mm-hmm. yielding plyometrics are going to be where you are essentially getting like eccentric overload right so think of like your standard you've, you've seen like frog jumps or like a split lunge jump right like common movements that you would go into any like group exercise class like in your big gym right and you'll see like the instructor like bouncing around doing like that kind of stuff is actually pretty good right and it's you're uh, you're not only um you're exposing your tissues to that level of, of of eccentric force and you're getting your you know you're teaching your body how to like rebound for lack of a better term out of those positions mm-hmm. uh you're getting a little bit of a uh metabolic training effect as i mentioned previously just because your heart rate's gonna be elevated you know those, those work to rest ratios um you're getting a, a you know a little bit of um uh like you're getting into deeper ranges of motion like mm-hmm. if somebody can't get into a great squat like doing some squatty plyos are like I found to just be mint. Like you're, you know what I mean? Your hips and knees and ankles are gonna feel awesome Mm -hmm. after doing that type of work, right? So, you know, that type of stuff will make you very sore. So you definitely want to start with like relatively low volumes, uh, and slowly increase the either the frequency frequency or volume of that type of work. But um, it's just a great way, in my opinion, to either warm up before a session or finish a session as like a little finisher for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um and uh you know, it's one of those things where it's like you kind of keep in the toolbox, you know, like I think I find if I'm not doing that stuff as frequently, like when I go back to it, I'm super sore. <laughs> and it's just a little reminder to just keep it in at like a low level constantly. And then if you have a specific goal where maybe it requires more volume there, then then you increase the volume. Um, not a great explanation, but I hope that helps here. You're, you're was, especially-
0: was that the explanation for both the, no, the, so that for the,
1: the the yielding uh your yeah. more extensive plyometrics are going to be like this would be like your your single leg hops your pogo jumps that kind of thing mm-hmm. we are and also i uh, i'm forgetting a, a key point so in a typical like yielding uh so going back a typical yielding plyometric it's not a true plyometric in the sense that it's just too slow you know what i mean so it's technically not a plyometric. But we're calling it one just for the sake of categorization, right? Gotcha. Um, okay. Whereas an extensive plyometric, where you are, you're you're doing multiple jumps, right? And you're getting mm-hmm. it's that fast rebound off the ground. Uh, uh, forgive me, I don't recall, recall how many meters per second it actually needs to be to be <laughs> uh, a plyometric, but uh, the number's out there somewhere. I should know. But um, anyway, so it's a, you're getting that fast rebound effect. You're 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 almost popping off the ground, and there's ways to increase the intensity there or decrease the intensity there but the, the key being that it's a repetitive motion right so a box jump would not be a plyometric because that's just a single jump a broad mm-hmm. jump is not a plyometric it's just a single jump which is fine it's just different um, terminology right mm-hmm. um which a third category of a, of plyometrics would be more your intensive uh variations where these would be like uh rather than like a like a low level extensive where you could do mo- like 10 20 30 repetitions you might do two three four five repetitions that would be like your your hurdle hops your broad jumps that kind of or uh, continuous broad jumps those kinds of things that would Um, be
0: the intensive
1: that would be the intensive so you know more more stimulating from a nervous system perspective um you know if you've ever done like really high effort all out like continuous broad jumps like super fatiguing you know you want to do a ton of volume like you're keeping the reps reps and total volume or t- total work, uh, workload relatively low mm-hmm. and uh you would want to do that when you're fresh obviously right versus yeah. the extensives yeah you can do them when you're fresh you can also do them under fatigue um and you can vary the uh amplitude of those movements depending on your goal so like a lower amplitude more of a a true extensive would be to like work on like rhythm and timing and those kinds of things, you know, think of like jumping rope, right. Um, versus mm-hmm. like you can increase the amplitude and, you know, now you're getting into more um, like force development and that kind of thing.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Good stuff. Yeah. Those, those explanations were awesome. Thanks, man.
1: I I, I, hope want- so. <laughs> 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 I would check out his podcast and his work just to maybe get, um you know, a better uh, clue in on that, but hopefully that helped.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna want to kind of wrap things up now, just by finishing off with like this the loaded term of injury prevention, because um, I guess like injuries are very prevalent in in martial arts, BJJ. So, do you have any like thoughts or ideas around what's like some of the best practices in terms of keeping healthy in terms of um, practicing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu?
1: Yeah, um, so I've had a lot of thoughts about this recently because of my recent injury and not that it's been debilitating i've been able to train and maybe to my own detriment i've continued to train and train through it but it made me kind of rethink like where i maybe could have been doing a better job right so we could say that injuries are always a freak occurrence right so i was in this instance i was i shot uh i believe a double leg and my training partner sprawled out on top of me and i you know i tore the same labrum 20 years ago so Knock on wood, haven't had any issues really since then, and up until that point. But yeah. this was at a six a.m. training session. Uh, I probably, you know, if I were to look back at that day, probably didn't have maybe the greatest sleep the day prior or the days prior. Uh, so maybe I went into that training session a little bit more fatigued than I normally would have. And mm-hmm. I think fatigue plays, you know, plays a role in not only decision making, but like in coordination and timing and all those other aspects that go into that. So I think that's. My roundabout way of saying, like, get your lifestyle in order to the best way, you know, to the best degree that you can, right? So I have mm-hmm. two kids, but you know, who don't, who both sleep through the night, and, and I don't really have any issues there. But you know, it's like the more you have on your plate, the more likely, like, you know, your lifestyle is going to like influence your your training, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you know, handle the basic stuff, get your sleep in order, get your nutrition somewhat in order, stress management, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the next most important thing is just manage your training load. Like don't train like an asshole. Like, you know, if you're (laughs) if you're 38 years old and you have other responsibilities outside of just training, it probably behooves you to, you know, maybe you don't take on the same training load as a 25 year old who like lives in a ba- his mom's basement. He trains twice a day. You know, it, I mean, it's just right. Everybody's in a different scenario. Now, there's anything wrong with that. Like I remember being yep. that guy too, and just having all the time in the world to train and, uh, looking at like the older guys and be like, like snickering, like basically like, come on, man, get it together. And now that I'm a little bit older, <laughs> I don't think my recovery ability has necessarily like decreased all that much. It's just, I have other shit to do. Right. So it kind of, you know, things mm-hmm. kind of fall in line that way. So manage your training load. Like, number one, uh, I think it's important to obviously, like, not only looking at the micro cycle in terms of your training week, like, where are you having easier days? Where are you having harder days? And really recognizing, like, what's your weekly pattern look like or your daily pattern, you know, in terms of training? If every day is, you know, you roll as hard as you can, you get in the gym and you train, or something, like, great. You know, I guess David Goggins is right. Somebody's got to carry the boats. Maybe you're that guy. but. <laughs> Probably not, and it, you're probably better off taking a look and taking a step back, recognizing that you're going to get more quality training in if you kind of delineate your days accordingly and you have you have days that are designated to be maybe a little bit harder, days that are designated to be a little bit easier. You have maybe even full rest days. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and you kind of look at your, your training week in that manner. And a training week doesn't necessarily need to be seven days, right? You can have a 10 day microcycle, a 14 day microcycle, whatever the case is. Yeah. And I like people to take, really take that step back and look at like a month overall, you know, people get so caught up in the week. Like, Oh, I got to get this many sessions in this week and this, you know, especially like type a type athletes that are, you know, they take their training seriously. They love it more than anything. Take a step back and look at 30 days. And if you zoom out, you're like, okay, like, yeah, it makes sense. Like I maybe, maybe in one week I get two hard sessions, but the next week I only get one really hard session, but you know, you might get three or four easier ones, right? So the total volume is always kind of at this baseline, but you're not getting these like really peaks and troughs of like where you're crushing yourself and then you have to take time off because you've either, you've gotten injured or you've gotten sick, whatever the case might be. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So manage your training load both in, in jiu-jitsu and in your strength and conditioning. I think that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't you know, don't rob Peter, Peter to pay Paul. So if you love jujitsu and that's your main priority, you probably sh- maybe aren't gonna follow the same strength conditioning program that literally that somebody follows literally because that's their hobby. They love strength and conditioning. So their program is reflective of that, versus you use it as a supplement to your jujitsu, jitsu you know, as as a generality, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um and you know, so if you can avoid getting injured and you can avoid getting sick, which if somebody doesn't have kids and they don't understand this, when we have two young kids and they're in daycare, like they are <laughs> walking little petri dishes. So I didn't realize how big of a deal this was again until like this year. So I have a four year old and I have a 10 month old, right? Or an almost 10 month old. Um, yeah. They're both in daycare all day. So they come home with all those little kids, little germs and sicknesses. And yeah, our house is just basically like the house of sickness, <laughs> like <laughs> like if you're not careful. So if you're not handling your stuff outside of the gym and you're not managing your sleep and your nutrition, all that, like that's how you get into into issues where you get sick, you take time off, you try to jump right back into the same amount of training you were doing before you got sick and you took time off. That's where it becomes an issue. So kind of like going back to this idea of like always maintaining a base level of fitness, I think is a great idea. So that way. You're never having the uh, again, those huge peaks and valleys where it's like you're playing catch up right to where you were previously. And you're trying probably to do too much too soon or you're feeling like you're just always like behind and you're, you know, you're never putting in the same quality of work that you need to in order to actually get better. Um, Because at the end of the day, jujitsu is still like it's it's yes, it's a it's a it can be a rough sport. It's a physical sport. You know you need to be in shape. You need to be strong, all those things. But it's it still falls back on like how good at, are you at jujitsu? You know what I mean? Like how technical are you? And the more technical and efficient you are, the more you can train and not get fucked up because you're not relying on these other physical attributes.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, that was a great answer. And I like how you didn't like go into like specific exercises necessarily to prevent injuries. You kind of looked at more of the principles that are going to allow you just to, to do more training more consistently and then be healthier. So that was a great answer, man. Appreciate um, that. Thank you. So we're going to wrap things up. It was, it was great having you on. Um, I know we Thank had some, tech, some uh, difficulties early on, <laughs> we but we figured it out. We figured it out, definitely. Um, and I want people to know where they can find you and reach out to you for coaching. So do you mind just giving us some of your contact information?
1: Yeah, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn and I keep getting these notifications, like, but I don't, I don't look at it ever. Um, no, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> at my name so at dustin d-u-s-t-i-n labelle l-e-b-e-l uh and all my stuff is on there i've been posting on instagram for a long time um i try to put out useful content i've been posting as much lately because i'm just not
0: i don't know not I in just, the mood
1: <laughs> i i just the a lot of the content that you see like i just don't want to repeat what other people are saying so i'm just taking a step back and um trying to post maybe less frequently but maybe more Mm -hmm. impactful stuff i don't know um i'm on threads too i guess but if you're on instagram you can probably find me on threads it's pretty easy to pretty easy to do
0: but yeah Yeah. that's it well i've I've been following i don't even know how i came across dustin but ever since i've been following him he definitely posts a lot of gems in terms of strength and conditioning knowledge and just overall kind of philosophy around training and and uh, mma and bjj so i highly recommend everyone check him out and are you you you're doing coaching right now right
1: yeah yep so I, I so coaching is not my full-time job it was for a long time um but i keep a relatively small roster of clients i am accepting new clients going into the new year mm-hmm. um but ha- not having it be my full-time job is actually way less stressful and i enjoy it way more at this point in time so um i'm happy to work with anybody that uh has any interest so yeah thank you for the shout out there appreciate it yeah
0: no worries man um well, I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you later.
1: Yeah. Likewise, man. Happy new year.
0: Happy new year to you too. All
1: right. Take care. Bye.